You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. We're, we launched a series last week called Soundtracks, and it's not a series about music. It's actually a, a series about winning the war that wages in our minds, and this is so important for us in this day and age. It is critical, and we are so uh, caught up in our minds so often, and we've got to get some control. With the Lord's help, we can do that. A couple quick truths before I introduce our speaker uh, for today, Pastor Rocky. But the, the first truth that we talked about last week is that our thoughts, the what we think in our mind, are internal soundtracks. And so the way we think inside of our mind, that's, it's an internal soundtrack uh, that we listen to over and over, even more than our favorite music. And then we said uh, that, that our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So what you're thinking about, where, you're, where your mind is consumed, that's the direction your life is going. And we talked about different paths that we have to be careful that we want to be on. And, and we simply cannot let our thoughts or our soundtracks, so to speak, be left to chance. And so we give those things to God, and we, we're learning some tools in this series that will help us to get control of our minds. And we ended last week by reading Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And what I did, if you were here with us, we closed our eyes, and I read this over you, and, uh, and just kind of like to, to see God's word in our hearts. And I want to start by doing the same. So without further ado, I want you just to bow your heads, close your eyes, And listen to Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. It says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, think about these things. That was the first big takeaway from last week and for this series, that we need to capture our thoughts. We're thinking on positive things. It says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So we take the thoughts, church, and we move those into action. And that's the practicing these things. And then there's a promise that comes. What do we experience? And we experience the God of peace will be with us. That's what we're talking about. Lord, I pray as we continue this series, as Pastor Rocky brings the word, Lord, I pray that you would just be glorified and open our hearts, open our minds to receive from you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Rocky, it's all yours. Thank you, Pastor Ben. You know, it's the second time I watched that video, and it was even more powerful this time. I'm really excited for those people who have had made that commitment of baptism and it's a line in the sand. I want to ask you this. Have you ever been in a mall and got lost? And you had to find that sign where it's got the maps of all the different levels and all the different departments and stores. And then it says, you are here. For those of you who've been baptized today, you are here. And don't forget that. 
Write this date down. And I hope this message is special to you as well. But today, you are here. You've got a long ways to go. There will be some trials. There will be some doubting. There will be some struggles. We're going to talk about those today. But remember, wherever you are, you were there. Don't ever forget. You were there. And that being said, my heart is telling on me right now because I have a confession to make. I'm a minister of the gospel. And if you're a believer, all believers are ministers of the gospel. But I'm actually an, an official card-carrying member of a minister of the gospel now. And as a bonus, I found out this gives me free parking at hospitals and funeral homes. Right. <laughs> Who would have thought? But all those who have stepped out in that calling and become ministers are held to a higher standard of judgment. Read John, or James 3.1. All the ministers here, and I won't name them by name because we learned earlier from Pastor Ben that that could go really bad. <laughs> that being said, I should know better than others what my calling is that God has for me. And I should know better than others what the enemy is trying to drag me into. Amen. I should know better than others the difference between good and bad, right and wrong, righteousness and evil. But what I know God wants for me and those things I really desire to do, I don't do. And those things I try to avoid and I detest, and I know the enemy is trying to drag me into, those are the things I do. What a sad situation I've found myself in. Now, I told you I was going to give you a confession, and I did. I didn't say it was my confession. That was actually a confession of someone else. Someone who far better than me should know right from wrong and far greater than me should be able to be a minister of the gospel. In fact, wrote about that much of this book. His name was the Apostle Paul. And I wonder, did Paul really struggle that much with sin? One side of me says, yeah, let it be so because then I don't feel so bad about myself. But the other side says, but he wrote most of that book. Wow. We'll talk about that more in a few minutes. But for now, I want to focus on the warfare that we find in our minds, the battles that take place, because our minds are a frequent battleground of struggles. And one of the greatest ones is fear. 95% of the things that we are afraid of, that we fear, statistics show are not valid. It's only 5% of things that we actually fear that actually happen. There's an acronym you may have heard, really depicts this. It goes, fear is false evidence appearing real. Keep that in your mind the next time you're struggling with something that you're afraid of and you're really fearing. Is it real or is it false evidence appearing real? 
There is a fun list of many things called phobias. These are fears. I'll just go through a few of them here. 4% of the world's population struggles from claustrophobia, the fear of tiny spaces. I didn't know I had that fear until we were on a canoe trip in Florida. Beautiful, crystal clear water. We saw a group of kids in the water. It was only a foot deep. And then one disappeared and a little bit later popped up somewhere else. I thought, how could he be that deep? It's only a foot deep. As we got closer to the canoe, there was a little hole about the size of my body. Of course, they were much smaller. And it went down and looped around and came back up. I got claustrophobic just watching that. I thought, whoa, what if you get stuck in there? Have you ever been to one of those situations where you thought, I, I just got to go because something bad's going to happen and I'm not the guy to save them. So I'm claustrophobic. 8% have cyanophobia, the fear of dogs. 5% arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. That's pretty common. Acrophobia is the fear of heights, 5%. 33% of the world has aerophobia, the fear of flying. And another 30%, perhaps the same 30%, have the ophidiophobia, the fear of snakes. <laughs> Pastor Bobby's got this strange friend who actually keeps one for a pet. Can you imagine that? <laughs> then there's aerophidiophobia, the fear of flying snakes. <laughs> Kidding. Glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. 98% of people are afraid to stand up in public and speak. Can you imagine that? And then... Don't mix that with glossolalia, which is the term for speaking in tongues. But then you got glossolalia phobia, which is the fear of publicly speaking in tongues. <laughs> got a bigger laugh at first, first service, but <laughs> it's actually a real thing because people, some people are afraid to get the gifts of the Spirit because they don't want to be at some party or some gathering and then just start, you know, going off and it's, it doesn't work that way. So don't ever have that fear. There are many other battles in our minds, and the list could be endless possibly, but I'm just going to cover a few of them. Of them. Lust, a force producing intense desire for an object or circumstance such as sex, money, or power. I think we're all familiar with lust and how that can grow. Anxiety, worry, overwhelming sense of apprehension or fear by doubting one's capacity to cope with a situation. Doubt, questioning truth, or lack confidence in someone or something. And certainly there are many more, but my favorite one is paranoia. There's an old song that said, paranoia will destroy you. And it's true. It's the delusion of persecution, unwarranted jealousy, or fabricated suspicions. I have an illustration of how that can take place and take over one's mind. Some years ago, before I was married, I had a good friend of mine that I worked with. We both wanted to go on a trip. So we took a trip, booked a trip to a third world country. And I won't name the country because maybe you're going there. And it doesn't really matter. But we got on the plane and we had all kinds of misdirections and had to go to different flights and all kinds of bad stuff happened. And finally, in the middle of the night, we landed in this place. 
And I heard people say, well, be careful because people in that country, they're out to get you. They want your money and they don't care how they get it. They'll stab you, kill you if they have to. Be careful. Well, I already had that seed planted. We got off this endless flight, boarded a old green bus. Two of us walked on, the door slammed shut behind. Then I noticed there was, we were the only ones on, except for the driver, a young guy in the front row, and a young guy all the way in the back. And immediately I knew what was happening. <laughs> this was a game. They were going to drive us off into some far-off jungle, beat us up, take our money, and leave us to die, and then just drive away. I wasn't going to let that happen. So we sat right in the very middle. The truck took off, or the bus took off, and it made left turn, right turn, up and down hills and valleys, and it repeated that over and over endlessly, it seemed like. I thought, they're trying to just get us confused. And then finally, it made its way up this long, steep hill, just struggling, this old bus. It's just like when you get on a roller coaster in that first high hill, and it's just struggling to get to the top, and you don't know what's going to happen when you get over the top, and bang, my seat fell back, and I'm laying on the seat behind me, all sprawled out. I levitated up off the floor. I turned 360 degrees in midair, and I landed like a cat. I immediately turned to that gang member in the front seat. His head was slumped over. He was sound asleep. So like a ninja, I turned over to the guy in the back row who was reading a book while the gang master up front was looking straight ahead, driving the bus, bouncing around to the music in his headphones. Even my friend was sitting there sound asleep. Hmm. I reached down and picked up a nut and a bolt put the seat back together that had rattled apart with all the driving, put it back together, and was glad that nobody saw all the silly things that I had manufactured in my mind. And we continued the trip. I had believed a lie, and that lie had developed into a war in my mind. Using that analogy of war, we tend to fill our minds with the wrong ammunition. Things like doubt, fear, paranoia. And when we do that, we have explosions inside, and when those explosions happen, sometimes projectiles come out. We lose confidence in ourselves, in others, in God. We gossip and destroy reputations and relationships. We have anxiety that turns into panic, and that invokes an unrealistic precaution or stress we're unable to trust anyone if allowed to develop too far. So what's the proper ammunition that we should load into our mind? We've heard it a few times. We heard it last week. Pastor Ben went through it again. Philippians 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on those things. There's a helpful acronym you may have seen or heard, the word think. 
That word, the letters broken down, mean, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? When you are ever in a struggle in your mind with thoughts, think of the word think. First of all, what you're thinking about, is it true? You have to establish if it actually is true. And if it's not true, disregard it. Pretty simple. Is it helpful? Is this helping me to make a decision or is it making me more confusing? Is it helpful to someone else who I'm thinking about? Helpful to myself that I'm thinking about? If it's not helpful, disregard it. Is it inspiring? Does it lead me to do good things? Or does it lead me to do bad things? Disregard it. Is it necessary? Perhaps the most important one right there. Do I need to really be thinking about this? Because how much of our thoughts really are a waste of time? If it's not necessary, disregard it. And is it kind? That's a pretty simple one. If it's rude or obnoxious or hurtful, we don't need to dwell on those. But the best way to defeat the enemy in our mind, never let the battle begin. Let me give you an example of how easily an unrestrained thought can escalate into a battle and soon thereafter into casualties of war. You're all familiar, I'm sure, with a author named Edgar Allan Poe. Now, Poe wrote horror stories. He was called the Master of Macabre. It might be a strange thing to be talking about him in a church, but we can learn spiritual lessons from non-spiritual literature and people. Poe wrote a story called The Telltale Heart. Now, there's different versions. I'll try to stick with the book version, but if you watch, there's lots of little movies that you can watch, little short ones to get the idea, and they're all a little different. They go a different direction, but here's the, the idea of the story. There were two, a man and a woman, very well off, lived in this beautiful Victorian mansion. The lady died. The man went on as a widower. He had a servant or a butler, I'll call him, who was his caregiver after that. Every morning, he'd wake him up, get him out of bed, sit him at the table, feed him this bland gruel of some kind, and he would just munch away, staring at his caregiver with one blind eye. Day after day after day. He went through the day, then at, toward the evening, he gave him another bland meal, played his favorite music, read him a story, and then put him to bed. Day after day after day, staring at him with this blind eye. Eventually, he couldn't handle it anymore. He says, this guy's driving me crazy. It's that hideous eye. I gotta stop it. But the only way to stop it was to kill the man. And the line in the story that stuck in my brain is the what he said. Once conceived, this thought haunted me day and night. He couldn't get it out of his mind. He had to kill this guy. Now he was scheming how to do it. One night, 
He could hear the man's heartbeat, he thought. It got louder and louder and louder. It got so loud, he thought, that the neighbors could now hear it. So he had to put an end to it, and he killed the man. And in a panic, he buried him under the floorboards of the man's room. A report went out that there was a scream in the house, and the police came to investigate. He said, oh, no, the, the, my master is just away for a couple weeks. He'll be back. But they all came in, and they sat in the man's room, and they started to just chit-chat about things. And now the butler's getting a little nervous, and they're starting to laugh and joke, and he's hearing the man's heart again beating louder and louder and louder until finally he yells out in guilt. He says, okay, enough. I did it. I admit it. He's buried right there under the floorboards. And the police are just dumbfounded, like, what is he talking about? We didn't hear anything. But that's how this battle of paranoia can escalate into a war in your mind. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians 10, he uses this beautiful metaphoric language uh, of warfare. And it goes like this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, to destroy arguments, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. How do we take captive every thought? I say we recondition our preconditions. There are things that we automatically do that we need to change. I go back to my old pastor, Bert Evans. He was 80-some years old, and he was still teaching. And one of these things that he said Occasionally, I myself have to just grab myself by the shirt collar and shake myself and say, I am going to make me mind me. We can go pray a prayer, sit in a corner, sip our coffee, and wait for God to fix us. We've been waiting a long time. Because sanctification doesn't work that way. It's a partnership. God convicts our spirit. We respond in prayer. He shows us, he convicts us of what to do, and we follow. That's how it works. There are four points that I want to make. How to take captive thoughts. Point number one, replace patterns with prayer. Those patterns that we have in our life. When we recognize them, we stop and we pray. Romans 12, 2. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Romans 12, 2 is one of the key verses for the doctrine of sanctification. Two, replace negative thoughts with positive thanksgiving. And we're going to go back to Philippians 4.8 again. Because this is such a good verse. And I'm going to read it out of a different translation, perhaps, than it's on the screen. 
Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell. Think on these things. And he goes on to say, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. This is Paul speaking. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. To paraphrase that, find someone who exhibits those moral traits and that character and follow their example. It's called mentoring. Three, replace fear with faith. John, 1 John, 1, uh, 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. We need to understand that. Say it over and over. Really get it into our spirit. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Let's replace the you with me. And repeat after me. He that is in me, go ahead, repeat after me. He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Say that over and over and get that in your head, that we serve a Savior who is far greater than anything else that was created. Four, replace doubt with delight. Have the confidence of a child with an almighty father. When we were kids... I think it was when times got to be boring, we would start talking about different things, and then we would get to the point of saying, you know, my dad's stronger than your dad. My dad could lift up that lawnmower with one hand. Oh, yeah, well, my dad could lift up that car with one hand. Well, I'd like to see him do it. Well, my dad's stronger than your dad. My dad could beat up your dad. Could not. Well, let's just wait. Sure enough. Both dads would come home from work, get out of their car, walk across the lawn toward each other, shake the hand, say, how's it doing, Lou? Pretty good, Lou. By the way, they were both named Louis. <laughs> and they would talk for a little bit, and all was well. So from that, we, still, we still wanted to think that each of our dads was stronger, but I guess we were glad that they didn't beat each other up. <laughs> Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is good. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Know that God is our Father. Now I began this, this message with a confession. I told you it was not mine. It was a confession of Paul the Apostle. I want to read it word for word as he wrote it. It's in Romans 7, verse 14 through 24. I'll start down about 20, uh, 25. I'll start about 23. I find then the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good, being me, I want to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body. 
waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Let's hold off on that one. Scholars disagree on this. Whether Paul was actually letting us into his struggle with sin or whether, because of his Greek influence, he was giving a dramatic presentation of the struggle that is within those who do not have Christ. Personally, I believe Paul struggled with sin. We all do. There's no doubt about that. But I believe that he was given an amplified version so we could really understand how bad this struggle is with many. To my earlier question, must it really be this way? The war within might just be normal for people without Christ. But it should never be the accepted norm or normal condition for a believer. Don't ever give in to the idea that you cannot overcome sin. Because if you walk daily with God, you're led by His Holy Spirit, then the answer to that question is no. It need not be that way. Because Paul finishes his dissertation like this in verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. And he continues on to say, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Continuing that war metaphor. Bow your heads, please. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you came and filled this room with your presence. I believe, Lord, that you spoke to each heart in this room today. Perhaps even some of those hearts that may be beating from the conviction of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that from this moment on, that you change our lives forever. And that includes long-term believers, those who have newly come to the Lord and been baptized, and those who may have not made that decision yet. In your name, amen. After writing all those horror stories and living a rather short life, Edgar Allan Poe, on October 7, 1849, died of some mysterious happening. His final words were, Lord, help my poor soul. We can likely understand the struggle this man had with his spiritual life and sin and the hopelessness of his final moments. But it didn't have to be that way. It need never be that way. Is there sin in your life? I won't ask for raising your hand because we all should. It was in Paul's life. It's in my life. To a degree, we all struggle with sin. But do you battle with it? Or have you given up in defeat? 
real question today is, are you willing to take up arms? Are you willing to take captive every thought and capture it? Take it captive. Make it obedient to Christ. Become more than a conqueror. Regardless of where you are in your spiritual life, whether you may be a long-term believer, perhaps you have never known the Lord at all, or perhaps you're somewhere in between. You may have backslid or fallen away. Regardless, I would like each one of us, if you can, to please stand. And I'm going to pray a prayer over us all. And just think of this. Would your telltale heart tell on you today of the sin that's in your life, regardless of who we are? Lord, I thank you that you brought us to this moment. You brought us to this time in our life of making a decision. Many of us in this room have made those decisions before, perhaps even to a routine agenda, but Lord, I ask for a special moment today that we, each one of us, can renew our disdain for the sin in our life and our love for you. God, I pray that you convict our hearts of that sin. You move us to take captive every thought. And that from this day forward, we can look at a line in the sand just as those baptismal candidates can point back to that water that we are here today and a year from now 10 years from now who knows how long from now we can always look back to this day that we made a decision for the first time or we remade a decision, a remade, a commitment again to follow you in Jesus' name. While we're still in this atmosphere of humility, Lord, I want to ask that you convict the hearts of those who have never known you before. If you've never known Christ and you want that assurance of salvation then this is the moment that we pray that prayer we are all going to pray the prayer together but for those of you who are praying it for the first time mean it in your heart it's not the words that you're going to say it's the belief in your heart please repeat after me dear heavenly father I come in the name of Jesus Christ. I stand before you today a sinner. I know I have fallen short of your glory. And I know that I cannot save myself. But I know that you sent your son to die on a cross to pay that price for me.
and he rose again and ascended into heaven where he intercedes for me as well. Lord, with my mouth, I confess you as Lord. And in my heart, I believe God raised you from the dead. Walk with me this day forward. Change my life forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time ever, or even if you've fallen away and prayed it again as a rededication, you need to tell somebody about it. It's up to you who you want to tell, but hopefully you tell a Christian friend who can walk alongside of you. Pastor Ben will be out there as you leave. You can tell him. Go in the grace of God. Lord, we thank you for this morning, for what you're stirring in our hearts. Lord, that we don't have to beat ourselves up in our mind. We can fill our minds with your word, and Lord, that we can walk in confidence. And Jesus, I thank you, God, that you are in control. Lord, this is your church, and God, Lord, we just trust that you are providing supernaturally. God, pour out blessings and favor on every single person here. And Lord, I pray that as you faithfully do that, Lord, that we would be faithful as well. And Lord, that by the second quarter, we will not only make up the shortfall, but we'll be ahead in Jesus' name. Lord, I just declare it, Lord, with your help. And God, we just thank you for this. And we, as we continue to focus on missions and uh, Project Rescue, clean water, our faith promise giving, Lord, just continue to charge us, Lord, and we give you the praise. We give you all the glory. And Lord, now as we leave, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us again. And all God's people said together in unity, amen and amen. We love you. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.